0: I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me. It's called being a professional. And they're, they're, they're gonna do that. They're gonna be a problem. Team will go as the offensive line goes. So offensive line went in the second half? The offense in turn went in the second half. And that was very, very impressive. Welcome into another edition of Recording the Carp. As always, I'm your host, Poppy Carpenter. We've got a great for- show for you here on this newest podcast. Pretty excited for th- what everything's going on. Um, talk a little bit about talk a lot about college football, actually. Three going to be three weeks into this college football season. A ton of big games in week three. Week one was really good, some huge matchups. Week two, not the best matchups, but there's still a couple of good games. And then, obviously, week three now, you've got some very signature matchups that we'll dive into, some big blue bloods in college football, and some teams that are on the rise that are making some moves. So, we'll break down that, you know, some movement in the top 25, and, obviously, the Ohio State-Oklahoma game. Wanted to start there with how the Buckeyes looked, obviously, against Tulsa. There was some concern, you know, when you're looking at a team that has played as well as Ohio State has, obviously, against Bowling Green. scores 77 points, looks Unbelievable. And everybody thinks it's just going to be that easy every single week out. Well, you know, here's the problem, folks. It's never going to be like that each and every week. And sometimes the problem is when you try to score 77 points each and every time out, you don't score that many at all. You get a little greedy. And, you know, the offense that maybe isn't quite as smooth running as everybody would hope. So those are some of the issues that you have to work on. And, you know, that doesn't mean this Buckeyes team, you know, won't improve and can't improve because they are going to improve each and every week. But they. They had some issues against Tulsa. You know, I think Tulsa's front seven was pretty good. They gave Ohio State's offensive line some trouble in the first half. It's not something that's overly concerning. They've got a very young group up front. There were some twists, some stunts that gave them a little bit of trouble. You know, and I remember watching uh, watching the, the the game live and watching the call with Greg McElroy. You know, and he addressed one time that there were six guys coming. They didn't have enough to pick everyone up. It wasn't true. He had brought uh JT Barrett brought Dontre Wilson in and when I first watched the play breaking down the game on Sunday I thought for sure Dontre Wilson was the guy that got beat that's where the pressure came from even though they had six six guys six blockers for six defenders so six on six protection there he wasn't the guy that got beat you know he's 5'10 190 he did a good job making his uh the edge rusher run the hump around him you know force him behind JT Barrett you know the culprits were Jamarco Jones and Michael Jordan, a freshman and a junior, both starting in you know in their first season at Ohio State. And they got caught in a twist. It's not the end of the world, you know, but when you don't have anyone else to help you because you've got everyone is occupied with another guy they have to block, you can't have a center help out, you're gonna get caught on the twist sometimes. And unfortunately that's what happened. And JT Barrett, you know, he tried to get the ball out quick, but there was nowhere to go because they still had man-free behind it. So there are some issues that they're going to be working towards. They moved around. They were going to get some guys open at the point of attack and clog up the running game a little bit. But you saw after the lightning delay, they came out, and Ohio State played much, much better. They were a team that was focused. They understood exactly what they needed to do, and their offensive line was going. And when the offensive line is going, that's when the team gets going, and that's when they're able to move the football. So you know, while the quarterback gets a lot of the blame – and takes credit for a lot of the success. At the same time, Ohio State is an offensive centric team, offensive line-centric team. Urban Meyer says it all the time. And that's because the, offen- the team will go as the offensive line goes. So, offensive line went in the second half. The offense, in turn, went in the second half. And that was very, very impressive. They got going defensively. Defensive backs are amazing. Malik Hooker's doing a great job. Marshawn Lattimore's stepping up. Denzel Ward's playing pretty well, although I think Lattimore's outplaying him at this point. Gary Conley is who he is. And uh, Damian Webb's doing a good job at the other safety spot. Um, Malik Hooker's playing really, really well. I mean, there's no other way to say it. He's a guy that came in. I don't know if the coaches were really high on him when he was first here. He was injured a little bit. He wasn't really playing well. Had limited experience playing football in high school. And now... I mean, he looks like he could be one of the best safeties in the country. You know, Safeties historically don't even go that high in the draft unless they're incredible difference makers. An you know, NFL scout unsolicited tell me that he thought if Malik Hooker continues to play at this level, he'd be able to come out and be a first-round pick, probably the first safety taken, just because of his ball-hawking skills and how athletic he is and the range of which he can cover on a football field. So that, those things are all great. Defensively, though, they still struggled against Tulsa a little bit. You know, there were some times the offensive line for Tulsa got some push, you know, the running back, D'Angelo Brewer, wasn't bad. He had great vision. He had the speed to get to some of the holes and some of the cutbacks. And, you know, you had you know some young linebackers rolling through. you got know, Chris Worley, who's a fourth-year junior, very, very solid player, and is really starting to make some plays. And Ray Cole McMillan is who he is. But with Dante Booker out, who's also a first-year starter, they rolled Jerome Baker over, him and Joe Berger, who's a fifth-year senior, kind of split some time. You had two guys at the ends of the spectrum there. And, you know, they filled in admirably. You know, Baker made some plays. Looked good at times. Also, you know, could have got off some blocks. Maybe could have hit a cutback. You know, here and there. Joe Berger came in, part of a goal line stand, did a terrific job. And that's what you expect out of a guy who's a captain and your fifth, a fifth year senior. And those are traits that you expect him when the bell, his bell is is called. You expect him to come running, and ready to be ready to play. And he was. So those those things were all good. And I think it's going to be important that the, those guys got that experience at home. And so, you know, in a game that was a little bit tight early on, the defense was making plays, but it wasn't like they were blowing them out. And that's because I don't know if Dante Booker, how much he's going to be able to give urban thought he'd be probable early in the week. I think he got downgraded to questionable on Thursday. So, you know, if he's questionable on Thursday, you have to wonder how much he's really practiced, if he's been able to do a lot. And I know urban Meyer is not a coach that likes to throw guys out there that haven't practiced much. So you're going to have to see what. Dante Booker has. He's a very talented kid. You know, He's young, or he's a junior. He hasn't played much. I think he's a better option overall than Jerome Baker, but I think Jerome Baker can still go out there and make a lot of plays. But it's much better to see him get some action against Tulsa in week two than have his first action week three out there in Oklahoma when it's going to be loud. And defensively, it'll actually be a little bit easier because this will be the first time they'll be able to communicate without having to worry about the fans you know, being crazy, yelling that you can't hear anything. They'll actually be able to communicate, which is a very, very good sign. So, you know, that's that's exciting from that standpoint that they'll be able to go out there, get it done, and it's going to be a challenge against Baker Mayfield. They're going to have their, their hands cut out for them. Um, there's offensively as well, you know, I had some people, you know, ask me on Twitter, should they be concerned about the lack of a deep passing game? Against Tulsa, it you know, looks so good against Bowling Green, JT Barrett is just airing it out, throwing it down the field, and you know, all the bevy of young wide receivers that they have are out there making plays left and right, and you really like to see that, and it's all great. It's all gravy. Well, against Tulsa, you didn't see it. You know, Part of the reason was, I think they wanted to establish the run game a little early, they were getting some pressure early, and, you know, the offense wasn't exactly coherent. And when, you know, cohesive, so when you're not putting together these long drives, it's tough for you sometimes to want to take shots. Sometimes you just want to get a first down, you'll know, get a couple of them rolling, you get to the 50, then you take, a sh- take your shot. You know, so t- Until you get that going, you're not going to come out on second and eight, or second and six even, and try to throw one down the field if you haven't got a first down yet, because that'll just break up the rhythm of what you're trying to get done. So I think that was one of the issues. And then the second issue is, once you got into halftime, you hit that rainstorm, there are sheets of rain coming down. It's windy as all get out. You look at it as Marshawn Lattimore is given a gift after the ball essentially just kind of shot right out of Dane Evans' hands, right to him. You know he went not got a pick six out of that. You know so a good day for him and taking advantage of it. Kudos. I think Urban saw that and said, "Hey, we don't need to make the same mistakes the Tulsa just did. So let's take the air out of the football a little bit. We'll throw the ball on some quick screens, some short stuff. But we don't really need to push it all the way down the field." So you saw that, and that's important. I think they'll be able to throw the ball against Oklahoma. I don't think the weather's supposed to be all that bad out there. It can get a little windy in the Sooner State, very flat. But I don't think it's supposed to be all that bad out there in Oklahoma. So it should be a pretty good situation for them. And if you look at what Houston did to the Sooners, one of the big pieces I think is going to be important that Ohio State does push the ball down the field. Not just recklessly, but taking some very, very tactical shots. And I look back at the Michigan State game in 2014, a game that you know, was kind of had a little revenge on the mind. You know they didn't play well against Michigan State in 2013, lost in the Big Ten championship game. Everybody was upset about that, and now they had that chance to go back into East Lansing. And J.T. Barrett put on a clinic, did a great job pushing the ball down the field. Devin Smith, Michael Thomas, Evan Spencer, all making plays. And getting involved, getting in the action, Jalen Marshall. I mean, everybody was doing what they needed to do, you know, to have success. And now I think this is another opportunity to do that. Going on the road, get the running game going with Michael Weber, and then utilize, you know, the ultimate weapon. You know, Urban, I feel like he's gonna start calling Curtis Samuel Iron Man, you know, the ultimate weapon you deploy only once, deploys them each and every week, through the air, on the ground. Who knows how he's gonna get him involved, but the guy can do a lot, so it's exciting to watch. So once you get that going, hey, they're going to be looking at the run. They're going to be looking at Curtis Samuel. Time to take some shots down the field. And JT Barrett throws a nice deep ball when he's given time and protection. The question becomes, can the young receivers make the play? Can those guys go out there and perform at the level that they need to? And I think that they'll be able to rise to the occasion. You know, a guy like you know, Paris Campbell got incredible speed, Terry McLaurin. Those guys will be able to press press it down the field. I wouldn't be surprised – also, if, if they want to maybe get even Corey Smith involved, I mean he's someone that they've been kind of waiting, you know, to see, waiting to have him get involved and to make some plays. I think this could be his opportunity, his opportunity to go out there and make some of those plays, get things done. You know, be the guy that they had hoped that he would be this year. So I think that Corey Smith might get involved, and I'd like to really see Austin Mack, the true freshman. I know it's on the road. He hasn't really. Played a ton and you know had a significant impact here, you know, to start uh to start the twenty sixteen season after a very solid spring ball and a very good camp. And maybe you don't want to try to start pushing a freshman out there on the road. It may be a little early for that, but he's also a guy that has some talent. Let's see what they can do. If the dog's gonna bite, they'll bite as a pup, Coach Coop said. So, you know, you may want to take a look at him as well. Uh, defensive line—they're still trying to, you know, figure out what they're going to do with Tracy Sprinkle, how they're going to replace him. You know, that's going to be incredibly important, as he is, you know, such was such a vital cog. And you know, they're kind of piecing it together. You know, they're putting different guys in there, trying to figure out exactly what they need to do, how they're going to replace it. But I think you know, they've got it rolling a little bit. But it's going to be a heck of a game, and it's going to be a heck of a game that on a weekend where there's a lot of good games. And you know, last week there wasn't a ton. There were some games end up being good that maybe shouldn't have been. And, you know, if you look at it, Bama got a nice signature win. Florida State played well. Ohio State and Michigan, they really didn't play anybody. Clemson hasn't played anybody, but they've also lost twice. Or not lost twice. They've won twice, haven't played anybody, and won each game by six points apiece against Auburn, who I don't think is great, but not as bad as maybe people think. And then the other team that they have, that they're really working on right there, is Troy 30 to 24. So Auburn goes from sitting in you know the, the 3 4 spot, they drop all the way down to fifth, or they were sitting number two, they dropped down to fifth. And this is the new era of the AP, it's going to resemble the college football playoff pool. And I think, that that's, I think that's a good thing. Big Ten showing out very strong, they're looking good, doing some very, very good things that have been pretty impressive so far to this point. You have Ohio State and Michigan sitting there, both now in the top five. And you saw Wisconsin creep to nine, and Michigan State to twelve, Iowa thirteen. So the Big Ten now, you know, as maligned as they were three, four years ago, at a conference that you know no wasn't any good and couldn't make plays. They now have five teams in the top thirteen. You know, it gets a little slim after that, as there's really no one else creeping in. But the Big Ten has really made their mark, and as these teams start playing each other, yeah, they'll get beaten up, and you know, yeah, they'll probably drop off a little bit. But I'll tell you what. You know, right now it's as impressive a big Ten rankings as I've seen this looks akin to what was going on back in the late 90s you know mid mid late 90s early 2000s where you have not just Ohio State and Michigan but you know Iowas joining the party Wisconsin's joining the party Michigan State's up there and those things are great uh, for the Big Ten and very important Georgia you know m- makes a big drop you know they have the big win uh, early in the season you'll know, look pretty good in doing so against UNC and then they struggle against Nickel State and barely barely uh pull one out 26-24 that's something that you know, they're penalized for they drop seven spots just like Tennessee did week one against App State this is kind of a new era in the college football coaches you know uh, AP poll coaches poll is a little more conservative but you know now everybody is just seemingly looking at it as You know, not how, whether it's just a win or a loss, you know, it used to be as a win as a win. Well, now it's how good did you look in your win? Because that's how the college football playoff selection committee is going to judge these teams. And now that's how they're starting to judge all the teams each and every week. So I think it's a good thing. Uh, Some of the big premier matchups, you know, we talked about Ohio State and Oklahoma. We'll get into that a little bit and finish off uh, with that. Um... Game at noon. And this is what's great about the college football matchup slate this weekend. you got games all day. And, you know, as much as you love maybe splitting time between two great games, which you'll have the opportunity to do in the evening, but now you have some great games starting at noon, kicking off with Florida State and Louisville. You know, terrific game, going to be leading the day off. And that's something that's going to be pretty sweet, you know, to have those two teams. You know, Louisville, a team with Bobby Petrino back, they're pretty darn good. Florida State, they're the class of the ACC right now. I know Clemson won it last year. Florida State has the most recent national title. You know, those guys are going to battle out later, but I think Louisville, you know, could be the team you know that challenges and rises up a little bit, you know, to see what they can do and see if they can make some hay in this conference. And I don't know if they'd be able to beat both Clemson and Florida State, but having Florida State at home, it's going to be a great little, uh, great environment down there with Bobby Petrino down at Papa in Papa Johnville. And Lamar Jackson, their quarterback, has only counted for about 25 touchdowns in two games. I mean, that's a mild hyperbole, but he's been really, really good. That is going to be your noon kickoff. You know, Jimbo, Sw- Jimbo Fisher against Bobby Petrino. You know, two coaches that are very, very good with Francois and Lamar Jackson, two very young quarterbacks battling it out a lot of talent out there, and I think this is a game that Louisville could steal. I don't know if they can go on the road and beat Clemson, but I think they might be able to sneak up and get Florida State at home. And, you know, my brother's a strength coach down there. I went and talked to the team, you know, at the end of training camp. Those guys are hungry, and they had some good-looking players. It was very, very impressive. They got college game day there. I mean, this is a big environment for Louisville, you know, in in a program that, you know, was big in the 70s, 80s, you know, fell off a little bit. Bobby Petrino brings them back, then he leaves. You know Charlie Strong kind of continues the excellence, and now all of a sudden they bring Bobby Petrino back, and they do it for I wouldn't say the right reasons. They do it because they want to win, and he's transforming this team into a winner. He's getting talented guys, and their offense is going to be humming. It's going to be a high scoring affair. I don't know if Louisville can pull it out, but I'm going to say the Cardinals find a way to get it done. The best game you're going to find in the 3:30 slot: Bama, Old Miss. I mean, this is uh, Chad Kelly. Can he do it three years in a row? Can he be the guy? You know, him and Hugh Freeze, can they Can they somehow stop Nick Saban three seasons in a row? They did it at home. They did it on the road. They have him back in Oxford again. And, I mean, I don't know what it is. I don't know what they've done against the Crimson Tide. I think they have confidence now. I mean, obviously, they're not going to sneak up on them. Yeah, they're a pretty good squad. They lost a tough one there in the opener. Uh... To Florida State, you know, they they got to get some things corrected. But Ole Miss, I mean, I want to take him so bad. After watching him do it the last two years, I just feel like Nick Saban is going to be ready to beat him three times in a row. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that's that's very impressive with how he has that Bama machine rolling. But Chad Kelly, they've got the quarterback to do it. I don't think they're quite as talented as they've been in the past. I think it's close. But I think Bama still finds a way to pull out a win. I would like to see it happen. I just can't look at it and consciously believe that it's going to be done. Another pretty good game is at 3.30 will be Oregon-Nebraska, and that's going to be in Memorial Stadium in Lincoln-Nebraska. And uh, Mike Riley, playing in the Civil War out there with Oklahoma State or Oregon State for a number of years, understands who he's playing with against the Ducks, and can Armstrong, can he find a way – to manufacture a win here against Oregon, who's not as good as they've been in the past. you know Nebraska is a slight favorite in this, even though Oregon's ranked. And I think if Nebraska wins this game, they could climb in the top 25. And it would prove that they would belong in the Big Ten, Big Ten West. Uh, the last couple games here are all night games. you got Michigan State at Notre Dame. And you've got Ohio State at OU. Both kicking off at 7.30. You know some nice evening games there for you. You have U C U F or U S C Stanford at eight, which will be all right. And maybe Texas Cal won't be too bad as well. But I'm talking, you know, Mark D'Antonio, Brian Kelly, you know, trying to figure out exactly how these, who these teams are, how good they're going to be. You know, can Deshaun Kaiser is he the man? And people are talking about him as a, you know an NFL guy. And he's gonna have to go out and prove it, you know, against a Michigan State team that. Has always been pretty good, but seems to struggle a little bit against the Irish. And you know, I think that I think they might not be a more talented team, but they may be a better team right now than Brian Kelly. You know they're going to be well coached. Mark D'Antonio always makes sure that's that's gonna happen. But you know, Notre Dame is an eight point favorite in this, and I think there's a reason for that. I think Michigan State keeps it a lot tighter than those eight points would indicate. Just because I don't think Mark D'Antonio gets blown out very often, even against Bama when it, you know, they got steamrolled a little bit, they moved the ball early in the game. They did some nice things, which would have led you to believe that they had a chance to win. They just couldn't sustain it. And they didn't take advantage of it when they needed to. And when they got in the red zone, they needed to get points, and they didn't. Throwing in interceptions. That'll get you. you know, against Notre Dame, you're going to have to do the same. And uh, I'll never forget Mark D'Antonio beating Brian Kelly a couple years back. Fake field goal for the win. I mean, only a guy as crazy as Dino would try something like that. And, you know, Brian Kelly was about as red as you're going to find. and I mean, he was eight, eight shades of red. And he gets angry. He's a little angry Irishman. You understand that. But I just, I think Deshaun Kaiser's is probably too much for him right now. They've got a lot of talent out there. And uh, as well as prepared as Michigan State's going to be, I don't know if they have the playmakers that they need to pull this game out. And then lastly, you've got Ohio State and Oklahoma. Baker Mayfield, JT Barrett. Out there in Soonerville, fun game to watch, exciting game to be a part of. You know, I can't wait to see this thing, you know, especially because you have Michigan State and Notre Dame going on simultaneously. So, you know, any breaks oscillating back and forth, getting as much football as you can. I think the Buckeyes find a way to pull this out. I'm not really sure. I think they are more talented than Oklahoma. But the question with that talent, it's all young. And does young talent, does it show up? Does it travel on the road? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. I've watched these guys make plays. I know they're highly capable of it. You know, can they do it in a critical environment? On a third and seven, when you have to hold up at the point of attack on a block... Maybe you know sift some guys out, figuring out who's coming in pressure offensive line wise. You're relying on another young wide receiver to beat press coverage, or maybe figure out what kind of coverage it is. You know, run his route accordingly. You know, J.T. Barrett's going to be good, and he'll make the right reads. You know, but the problem is you know, all those other guys. You know, are they all going to hold up on the play that they need to, or will there be one player who has a breakdown and just throws the whole thing off? Because that's typically what happens. You play five or six young guys. Four or five of them are going to do the, right, do the right thing on you know each play. The question is who's the one guy. You know, it's a lot of times it's different every play, and when that's the case, it's you know it's hard to win when you always have someone you know blow an assignment because when you're playing a good team, you just can't make up for that. You don't have superior talent where you know, one guy can take care of two. It just doesn't work that way. Not when not when they're that good. But with that all being said, you know you've got Samaje Peat behind Baker Mayfield, a very big robust defensive line. You know, Bob Stoops will always have the defense role, and that is his trade. They're going to be ready to go. Play a 3-4, head up, you know, up front. I think Ohio State tries to go up-tempo with them. Wear them down like they did Alabama a couple years ago. Run horizontally at first to kind of wear those big guys down. I mean, that's what I would do. I think Urban Meyer's probably watching the same film I am, and he's going to see some of that as well. See some of the things that Tom Herman and Houston did. How they can take advantage of some of Oklahoma's size. You know, the fact that they run that 3-4, they don't get a great pass rush. Maybe you have some play action on early downs where you're going to have a little bit more time to throw when maybe they're not as prone to blitz. And playing head up, they won't be able to get, you know, that great pass rush. Those are all things I think Urban has looked at. He's always well prepared for big games. He does a great job with the guys. He understands the moment because, you know, he's a psych major and he's going to utilize that to the fullest, make sure that he can, you know, psychologically outwit his team and Make sure he has them in the right place. I think the Buckeyes pull this thing out 34-31. I'm not sure how. I don't feel very good about that. I know that they're capable of it. I've seen it happen. I've watched them go downtown. I know they have very, very talented players. To be able to sustain drives, that's a little bit of a question. To matriculate the ball down the field, that's going to be hard because you have a lot of those third and fives, third and eights that you have to convert. Can they do it? Hopefully they can do it enough, and hopefully they can have enough big plays to get them in the mid 30s, because I think that's what it's going to take. As good as Ohio State's defense is, they're not shutting down Oklahoma, not after Oklahoma lost to Houston. Unless you know, there's they're just not as good as advertised, which I don't think is the case. I think it's more the case of hey, these guys are pretty good. They had a bad game against Houston. It spiraled on them, and then by the time that they realized they need to play, they couldn't recover. So I like Ohio State 31-34 in a very, very tight game coming down to the end because I think JT Barrett makes plays. I've watched him do it at the end of game in big games before, and I think that he'll be able to do it again. So thank you for tuning in to this edition of According to Carp. got it on Stitcher. You can download it on iTunes. You can listen to it at I tweet it out from my Twitter handle at bcarp3. I'm working on getting on TuneIn. I mean, trying to expand this thing. Tell friends about it. Like it. Rate it. Do everything you can to try to help promote it. I enjoy it, and I thank you for listening. To this edition according to carbon until next time take it easy